Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today called Rediscovering the Holy Spirit with a message entitled The Gifts of the Holy Spirit. So turn in the passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I've often thought about a God who not only creates a snowstorm, But in the literally billions of snowflakes that fall, everyone is unique, created with its own special and distinctive pattern and design. It's incredible. But perhaps that shouldn't surprise us. Of the well over six billion people who inhabit this planet, each has his or her own unique design on the tip of his or her own finger. Look around you and see the creativity and diversity of our God. In the plants and the animals he's made, in the variety found in every single area of nature. What does that tell you about God? See how different God is from so many human expectations. I find it funny that many social groups that stress rebellion and lack of conformity to culture, well, like the Hells Angels, for instance, all wear the same clothing and all drive the same brand of motorcycles. Please don't hear this as an ad against Harley Davidson's. I have great bikes, but in a world where we're constantly told to be unique in our own person, how often is it denied in the expectations that are placed upon the very people who are urged to reject conformity? It has been said, human beings manufacture ice cubes, but God creates snowflakes. Culture imposes sameness. Our God creates variety. Now, on the one hand, God also imposes sameness on all. All are sinners. All need the grace offered up at the cross. But obedience to Christ involves giving ourselves to ministry in the variety of ways we can serve God, and that's astonishing. And when it comes to the spiritual gifts and how we use them, the diversity truly reflects a God who puts creativity into every snowflake. And I've been doing a brief series on the Holy Spirit, and no study of the Holy Spirit is complete without spending just a bit of time on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Throughout this series, I've been quite topical, meaning that I've not studied one passage of Scripture. Instead, I've been mining the Bible and using various passages to give us a sense of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit throughout the entire Scripture. But when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12 is an excellent study, so I'll confine most of my remarks to that wonderful passage. I notice the passage begins this way. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. It is God's desire that all believers know something about spiritual gifts. He wants us to be well acquainted with them. But in that opening sentence, when Paul will describe everything from the gift of tongues to, in verse 28, to the gift of administration, he will call all these things spiritual gifts. By calling them gifts, he's signaling us that they are given by grace and not by works. We don't earn gifts any more than we earn birthday or Christmas presents. Presents, like gifts, are not a reflection of the worthiness of the receiver, but of the generosity of the giver. Spiritual gifts are actually grace gifts. Out of the Holy Spirit's love and graciousness, he has, if you are a Christian, given you special abilities which are intended to be used in the life of his church. Let me define a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is an ability empowered by the Holy Spirit that can be used to glorify God, build his church, and serve people in the name of Christ and for the sake of making Christ known. Now, since we can't study all of 1 Corinthians 12 in one program, let me jump around a little bit in this chapter. 
In verse 29, Paul states, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Now, you'll notice from that text that there is an ordering, first, second, and third. So let's see if we can follow Paul's train of thought. In the church of Jesus, God has appointed the apostles to be first. They were directly chosen by Jesus himself. They were promised that after Jesus ascended and gave the Holy Spirit, that these men would have the ability to supernaturally recall all that Jesus did and taught. And they not only left behind a written record which forms our New Testament, they also formed the foundation of the church. The future of the church depends upon their supremacy or their unique authority. They come first. And then second, Paul says, are the prophets. Well, from my best reading of 1 Corinthians 12, 28, these prophets are not to be confused with the gift of prophecy found in 1 Corinthians 12, 10. Now, I say that because the numbering, first, second, and third, that numbering is never used of spiritual gifts as if one was greater than the other. Hence, I'm assuming that the prophet he mentioned here is not the spiritual gift of prophecy he mentioned earlier. See, the apostolic office which comes first is, according to Ephesians 2.20, the foundation upon which the entire church is built. But in that same verse, Paul also says that the prophets also form the foundation of the church. And then in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says that both the apostles and the prophets received a revelation that men in the Old Testament had not known. Namely, they received the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So given that, I'm assuming that the prophets in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 are those men who also were the authors of Scripture, but were not apostles. Well, that would include men like Luke, who wrote the book of Luke and Acts. According to the Scripture's own testimony, Luke was under the authority of the apostle Paul. It would include men like Mark, the author of the book of Mark, who most likely was under the authority of the apostle Peter. They are given a ranking of second because even though they had the authority to write Scripture, they are subject to and submitted to the apostles. Then third, Paul mentions the teachers. They are third because their task is to teach that which was written by the apostles and the prophets. They are to make sure that all of God's people hear the word, understand the word, obey the word, and live according to the word. Now then, after giving a ranking of one, two, and three, Paul stops the ranking procedure. He simply uses the word then or after that. And here he mentions various gifts that the Holy Spirit freely distributes in the church, and they include miracles and healing and helping and administration and tongues. Notice several things. First, Paul assumes that the spiritual gifts are to be used in an environment where proper teaching of Scripture forms the basis of the life of Christ. If people are exercising spiritual gifts but not submitting to an accurate teaching of the apostolic record that makes up our Bible, chaos ensues. Proper Bible teaching is basic to the activity of the service of all of God's people. That's why a great example I have loved over the years is the illustration of fire in the fireplace. See, imagine fire to be the gifts that the Holy Spirit distributes to all of God's people. If the fire is lit on the living room floor, it burns the house down. See, many times when gifts of the Holy Spirit are stressed, chaos has ensued. Does that mean that the gifts of the Holy Spirit create chaos? Well, no. At least no more than fire poses a danger to your house. When the fire is in the fireplace, it provides warmth and light and beauty. In this case, the fireplace is the clear expositional teaching of the apostolic writing of Scripture. 
See, now once we understand this as central to 1 Corinthians 12, we are ready to glean other truths. Notice that in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, Paul seems to mix up what some of us might call the miraculous gifts, miracles, healing, and tongues, and what we might call the mundane gifts, helping an administration. In other words, none of the gifts gets a higher ranking over the other. I say this in spite of the fact that earlier in 1 Corinthians 12, namely in verses 8 to 11, there were given a list of nine gifts, utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge, faith, healing, prophecy, tongues, so forth, that seem spectacular to us. And yet in verse 28, Paul seems seems to have no difficulty placing these very same gifts alongside of helping an administration. So whereas he numbers apostles, prophets, and teachers, he utterly refuses to number any of the others. And what do we make of that? And the answer seems to be that no gift outside of the three offices Paul mentions should be thought of as superior to the others. Indeed, Paul makes just such a point in verses 14 to 26. He says, The foot can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the eye can say, I'm not needed. God has placed an interdependency into the church, which is compared to the interdependency in the human body. The Holy Spirit, in his wisdom, has determined to not only give gifts to individual believers, he has determined to withhold gifts from individual believers as well. That's why he asks a series of questions in the end of the chapter in which the grammar indicates the answer he expects to get. Here is what Paul asks. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? And to each of these questions, the grammar indicates that Paul is expecting a resounding no to each of those questions. And that should settle it for once and for all. It is the design of the Holy Spirit to so distribute his gifts so that through the exercise of the unique gifts that he gives us, we might be brought to a greater unity and appreciation and dependence upon brothers and sisters who are most unlike us. And when we come back, I'm going to discuss the last verse in 1 Corinthians 12, which says, desire the greater gifts. What does that mean? This month, we're broadcasting volume one of Dr. Neufeld's newest series, The Triumph of the Lamb, a study in Revelation. This is the first of four volumes to be broadcast over the next several months, and each time we want to offer you the newest volume at a very special price. So for the month of March, volume one of The Triumph of the Lamb, a study in Revelation on CD, is available for only $10. This 15-message volume covers Revelations chapter one to five, including an in-depth study of the seven churches. Discover the book of Revelation like never before. And please remember all our Bible teaching programs and resources are possible only because of your generosity. So consider an important ministry gift this month. Call us to order The Triumph of the Lamb or to offer a ministry donation at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us online at backtothebible.ca. We notice that the only numbering of gifts are for apostles, prophets, and teachers. And after that, we notice that Paul refuses to number gifts. Indeed, in all lists of spiritual gifts found in the New Testament, it is clear that no order of gifts is ever given. Why then would Paul ask us to desire the greater gifts? 
Well, context is everything. In 1 Corinthians 14, we are told that we should seek those gifts that benefit others and seek them far above those gifts that only benefit us. And so it's not as if healing is greater gift than mercy or vice versa. I do know this. If everyone around you is as healthy as a horse, the gift of healing is the least gift of all. But if there are those whose lives are devastated, healing is of great value. And that's the entire issue of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are not to say anything about ourselves, but are ways of giving our life away for the sake of others. And the Holy Spirit determines our effectiveness. But let's learn more about the actual gifts the Holy Spirit gives. Let me read 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You know, sometimes in our hurry to find out about spiritual gifts or in our hurry to talk about, you know, tongues and prophecy in this passage, we might pass over this text quickly and miss something vital. Let's not do that. Notice, first of all, that what this text tells us about God is significant. It tells us that in spite of the varieties of gifts, there is but one, or same Spirit, and that's surely a reference to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Then it tells us that there is but one or the same Lord. The Greek word for Lord is the word kurios, and that word almost always refers to Jesus, so we have here a reference to the second person of the Trinity. And then finally, we're told of the one and the same God, and that's the reference to God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. So even while we are told about the diversity, the differences, the creative and endless variety that God places in his church, we are reminded that the reason for spiritual gifts is not so that we can all be different, march to our own drummer, or become individualistic. Rather, our gifts should show us something about the God we are related to. And this brings us to the basis for our unity, and it's not in our gifts but it's in the one God who gives them. And here is, I think, Paul's point. Look at our God, he says. We see the complete unity of the Godhead, and yet the diversity of the roles that the three persons of the Godhead play, even in the giving of gifts. Can this not also be true for us? Okay, let's push this thing even further. Let's notice another feature in this passage. Three times Paul uses the word varieties. Varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities. I spent some time in the Greek word for variety, and I found something very exciting. The same word is used, for instance, in Luke 15, verse 12, and you'll remember the story of the prodigal son. The younger son was feeling restless, and he was not satisfied with his lot. And Luke 15, 12 says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he, that is the father, listen to this, divided, that's the same word, divided his property between them. Now imagine the father in the story, let's say he has $10 million. And so he tells his son, okay, I'm going to divide a portion out to you, your share. Let's say the younger guy's share is $3 million. And that's his portion that's given to him. That's the same word in our text. It means a portion of something. See, in this passage of spiritual gifts, the word variety means both variety and portion. Look at it this way. God has a full inheritance to give to his church. But what is that inheritance? And what is it that he's distributing? 
Well, he's distributing gifts to do the full ministry of Christ. And I was talking to a man who's a, a farmer in the prairies, and he was talking about leaving his kids an inheritance. And here's what he said. He said, I only have one farm with a farmhouse and barns, and that's the entire industry. I can't divide it into four chunks, so only one of my kids will inherit it. But although each of my kids will receive a very different inheritance from what the others will receive, I promise them it will be fair. And in essence, I think that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He has apportioned out the grace of God to each of us individually, but each of us individually has a different portion of that grace, and it looks so differently. So what have we learned? We've learned that the basis for our unity is the Trinity. We learn also that the basis for our diversity is the varied portion of grace that God gives to each of us. But let's also look at how the Holy Spirit distributes these gifts. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. The Greek word here for gifts is the word charismata. I'm sure most of us have heard about the charismatic movement, which is a movement that stresses spiritual gifts, especially tongues, prophecy, healing, and so forth. But when Paul says there are varieties of charismata, what does he mean? You know, it's interesting to note that the word charismata is used 17 times in the New Testament. For instance, in Romans 6.23, we are told that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift or the charismata of God is eternal life. There, the word simply refers to free or unmerited grace. In 1 Corinthians 7, 7, Paul is speaking about those who are called to be married and those who are called to be single. And then he says, each has his own gift or charismata from God. See, from passages like this, we can see precisely how Paul uses the word. Charismata is anything we receive in relation to grace. It means that God gives people gifts, presents, completely apart from anything they earn or deserved, and so gifts are never an indication of anything indicating a higher level of spirituality, but it also means that God has individually portioned out what he wants to give us. Now, there's so much more that could be said, but let me take you to to verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. This really is one of the wonderful verses in Scripture. Look at it this way. Let's pretend you've just gone to a stage play and the curtain comes down. You know, the the actors and actresses are just behind the curtain and you can't see them now. And so everyone stands and applauds because you want the performers to step out from behind the curtain so you can see and acknowledge them. And then, of course, they do. And everyone applauds even louder for even though they were there, you wanted them to manifest themselves. Now, the Holy Spirit is invisible after all. He's spirit, not flesh. John 3, Jesus compared the spirit to wind. You can't see the wind, but you never doubt it's there. You can feel it. You can watch its effects either in the leaves and the trees, the waves on the ocean, but it remains invisible. And here now is the wonder of the gifts of the spirit. Every time a believer learns what their gifts are and begins to use them and serves others as if Christ himself were serving them, it is as if the invisible Holy Spirit is stepping out from behind the curtain and manifesting himself. Use your gifts, and in your gifts, you will show the Holy Spirit. Imagine the use of the gift of healing, and when an individual is healed, the Holy Spirit says, here I am. I've always been here, but aren't you amazed to see me now? 
or when someone serves in such a way that brings relief and joy and life where there was none, the Holy Spirit says, here I am. I was always here, but now you can see me. And when someone shows mercy to one who so desperately needs mercy, the Holy Spirit steps out from behind the curtain and we become so aware of his presence. You know the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you? You know, maybe it's time to get to know them so that you also can manifest the Holy Spirit as you serve uniquely in the way in which he has called you to serve and glorify Christ. I think many people enjoyed hearing this message today about the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, one thing I've, I've thought about as you were speaking was, you know, the gifts of the Spirit really aren't a, a badge of honor. It's not, look what I have. The gifts of the Spirit are really about others. It's about how can I help others mature in their walk with Jesus? Or how can I show Christ through my gifts? Uh, they're not to be held selfishly. Yeah. And Ben, you know, even in the break, as we were just you know, talking about this, you'd also used a word. You'd use the word essential. And uh, it's such an important word, don't you think? It's just essential that we all come to recognize that the Holy Spirit has been given to all of God's people and that we have been given various abilities to glorify God. And, and you know, that really, in my mind, uh, uh, frees uh, local pastors from thinking that all the ministry has to be done by them because, as a matter of fact, uh, that simply belies this idea that God has gifted his people. So if we would just begin to look around us and recognize that the people that we sit next to on a, on a Sunday or maybe at a Bible study throughout the week or, you know, as God's people gather, that each one of them has uniquely been given abilities by the Holy Spirit, we might just take the time and get to know what those abilities are, and it might excite us, I think. Yeah, and, you know, I'm thinking, you know, it's really not about uh, just recognizing what they are, but our responsibility in respect to helping others mature in their walk with Christ. Yeah, yeah. I th- wow, how important it is also to encourage one another when we see the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating. It is really good to tell someone, you know, I have noticed how the Holy Spirit has worked in your life. And it's amazing how when we do that, you know, somebody's face will just brighten up because uh, we sometimes discount the work of God in our own lives. But when somebody notices, you know, that's that's such an exciting moment because, you know, we might get on our knees after that and say, thank you, Lord, that you also use me. And I'm so delighted to be a part of the work that that you've given me. Well, that's a great encouragement and a great message to go out and use the gifts that God has given you. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Let me share with you a few comments from our listeners. This is one of the most insightful and fulfilling studies I have ever heard in my life. Another, I'm a pastor and I've been listening to Back to the Bible podcast since the fall. I'm very thankful to be able to listen to the daily podcast and have my own life and ministry enriched with excellent teaching that Dr. Neufeld provides. And thank you at Back to the Bible for all the amazing work you do. You've helped my walk more than you'll ever know. What a great encouragement. And it reminds us to say thank you. Your prayers and financial support, your commitment, makes all our Bible teaching ministries possible and available to anyone thirsting to hear. Please continue to partner with us. Together, lives are being encouraged and changed. 
Offer your generous support today by calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.